Hey church, we just heard an incredible message that we believe is for you. So get ready to be encouraged, to be strengthened. This will change your life. We love you so much. It is great to see every last one of you. I'm so excited uh, about this Sunday. If you're here with us for the first time, I pray that you're already feeling at home. Welcome. You're with a bunch of new family members that you didn't even know uh, that you had. Uh, my name is Earl. I have the honor to be the pastor here uh, at Shoreline. I have a wife that's a whole lot prettier than me. Uh, that's over at our Bishop Arts Campus uh, this morning. So she sends uh, her love uh, to you. And be sure you let your friends in Oak Cliff know that we've got a campus uh, over there as well. Uh, this past week, though, I went to do yoga, like real yoga. And uh, I'm still very sore uh, right now. Uh, you would think, oh, yoga, that's nothing. But I was sweating profusely. Uh, I went with Andrew, who's our campus pastor here. And um, he didn't do that well, but I, I really, I really held my own. Uh, no, that's not true at all. He was killing it, and we had a great time, kind of laughing in between doing all these movements. Now, if you've never done yoga, it's intimidating. Okay, it's intimidating. You guys are looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about here. Go to some yoga studio and just walk in, and you're not supposed to wear your shoes into the, I don't know, is it the studio? I don't even know what you call that place, the, the, the yoga place. And you can't wear your shoes in there. you got to have a mat, and you got to have a towel. And, and then they're talking about the crow and the gold post and the downward dog and namaste. And they're saying all this stuff. I had no idea what was going on, but I still had a blast. But I was thinking this is how people probably feel when they come to church. I don't know what's going on. I'm trying to watch what they're doing to see if I'm supposed to be doing that same thing. Don't know the language. Feeling a little bit out of sorts. Liking it, sweating some, but liking it still. And trying to figure out, do I fit here? And I just want you to know you fit, okay? And we're very, very glad that you are here. And whatever preconceived ideas you might have about this studio, this church. I just want you to know from my heart, we are for you and on your side, and we're trusting for God to be the one to shape you and change you into who he's going to call you to be. All right, our agenda, our agenda here is to connect you with Christ. That's really all we want to do, and we'll trust him to do all the work in your heart and in my heart to help form us into who he's asking us for us to be in our generation. But we've been in the series uh, on the, in the book of Colossians, and we're going to stay in uh, this same book again today, Colossians chapter 1. If you brought your Bible, you can open up to that passage of Scripture with me, Colossians chapter 1. I've got to find it too. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse number 26. If you did not bring your Bible with you, we're actually going to put the scripture on the screen so you can follow along with us today. Uh, If you are with us uh, for the first time, we've been in this book now for five weeks, okay, and we're still in chapter 1. We're going to finish chapter 1 today, though, so you're welcome. Uh, that will happen. That will happen today. But I have just enjoyed walking through this passage of scripture, really verse um, by verse, and trying to unwrap and discover what truths God is trying to get to all of our hearts. And I pray that you are feeling encouraged uh, as you've been walking through this. Uh, chapter uh, number one, verse 26 the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, 
which is, drumroll, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Verse 29, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. The title of today's message for those of you who are taking notes is, it's a surprise. I liked it. So uh, I was 15, maybe 16 years old. Uh, I grew up in Rhode Island, and I'm there in our living room, and I, I have this moment. Uh, it's a moment I'll never forget. It's a moment that changed the trajectory of my life. Um, people ask me, how did you become a pastor? How did you know you're supposed to do this? And it was this moment that I'm about to tell you about that changed everything for me. I'm 15, maybe 16 years old in the living room, and I feel like a cloud, like a blanket comes around me and like rests on me. And I just get this overwhelming sense that God wants me to be a preacher. I immediately start bawling my eyes out. I'm crying. I'm, I'm afraid. Not afraid in the way that um, like someone startled you or afraid in that you're, you're, you're scared, but afraid more in terms of awe. Like you're looking at Mount Rainier and you're supposed to climb it and you're intimidated, but you know you you know you got to take a step. You know you've got to do it. It just was, it was, it was an awe that I had. This is not. You don't need this in order to have you know an official call to ministry or to whatever God has called you to. You don't have to have a moment like this. This is just my own personal story. And this is what, how God did it for me. And I call my youth pastor uh, immediately, and I tell him what I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing, and how I'm afraid, and how I'm crying. And uh, he gives me some words of wisdom, and I, I think I'm supposed to be a preacher. That's what I heard. So I think I'm supposed to travel around everywhere and go, go preach at places. That was really the only context that I had for, for preacher. Uh, little did I find out later, that's more of what they, we would call an evangelist, someone who travels around. And I, I'm more of a pastor. I like to be with people. I like to walk with people along the journey. I, I like to see people go from seedling to fully grown. I, I like to be involved in the ups and downs and the process of seeing a person's life transformed from the inside out. So five years later or so, I'm about 20 years old, and, and my grandmother says to me, son, you're going to be just like your great-grandfather. I say, well, what are you talking about? Oh, your great-grandfather, he was a preacher. This is my first time ever hearing this. Grams, tell me, what, what, what are you talking about? Your great-grandfather was one of the founding bishops of the Church of God in Christ. His name was E.F. McClellan. The Church of God in Christ is one of the largest denominations in America even to this day. And my great-grandfather was there at the very beginning getting this denomination off of the ground. And in this moment, I got like all this 
clarity. It, 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 I felt like I wasn't on an island anymore. I, I felt like I was connected to legacy. Like it wasn't just about me, but like I was an answer to his prayers years ago. And even though I'd never met him, it was like I was picking up a baton that he had passed to me and I'm trying to run with it in my generation. And I want, I want to make sure I run with it well so I can pass it on to the next generation after me. It just, it was it was beautiful. The information was always there. I just didn't know it. It was present, but I hadn't seen it. It had not yet been disclosed to me. It had not yet been revealed. And the Apostle Paul here is telling us as we, as we begin in uh, chapter 1, verse 26, there is a mystery and it's been kept hidden for ages and generations. But now the time has come for this mystery to be revealed. And the mystery is this, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And this is not just for Jewish people. This is for Gentiles as well. The door has been kicked wide open and the God of heaven is saying, I'm coming to to make my home in you. Mystery, it's an interesting word in our day and age. It carries with it the connotation of eeriness and kind of a little bit spooky. Um, but that's not what it meant in Paul's day. When he's writing this, the actual heretics who are trying to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ and mess with this church at Colossae, they would actually use this word mystery and they would use it to let people know they had some type of special knowledge, that they were above other people. And the apostle Paul is saying, hey, I'm going to take that word back. I'm going to redeem that word and I'm going to let you know you don't have some special knowledge. Here's the mystery. Here's the sacred secret and that is Christ in you is the hope of glory he uses the word Gentiles here and to give you a little bit of context on on the Bible the, the Old Testament it's written in sections okay it's not written chronologically uh, so the, the first section, if you will, is the law. Those are the first five books. And then you have the history books. And then you have uh, poetry and wisdom. And then you have the major prophets. And then you have the minor prophets. And some of these people are contemporaries with each other, but they, the Bible has been put in these sections. Well, in the Old Testament, God picks the Jewish people. He chooses them. Not because they're the biggest and not because they're the best. As a matter of fact, he chooses them because they're insignificant and a little bit ghetto. And he says, hey, I can do something with that. I, if I use these people and I elevate them, then people will not think they're great. People will understand that God is great. So he picked them so that he could prove to the world how beautiful and amazing and powerful he is. So that's why you ought not be prideful when God chooses you. It's because he knows you're insignificant and you don't have a ton to offer. But if he can work through you, he can get all the glory out of your life. That was free for some of you. With this being the case, there were these prophets that would come and and the prophets would say things and talk about a Messiah that would both reign and suffer. Some people are trying to reconcile these two things. How is our Messiah going to reign and suffer? 
There were promises made to David and promises made to Abraham. These Old Testament patriarchs and leaders and the Jews were looking for these promises to be fulfilled. They were looking for the promises to Abraham and David to come to life in their generation. They're looking for this. And everyone who was a Jew, you were in. But if you weren't a Jew, you were out. In order to be in, a Gentile had to become a Jewish proselyte. You, 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 people had check marks and other people didn't have check marks. Some people were in and, and some people were out. And in this passage of scripture here, we're discovering that God is actually saying, no, the people who used to be out, they're not out any longer. I'm actually now bringing those who are out in and those who are in can still be in, but I, I'm not making my family smaller. I'm making my family bigger. Uh, let me uh, give you a, a modern day example this. Uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, we had sisterhood, not only here in Dallas, but we also had sisterhood in Antigua at our Antigua campus. And, um, and I was told of this story. There is a community in, outside of Antigua called El Gorion. And this community is made up of some individuals that were displaced in 1998 by Hurricane Mitch. There were some 69 families that moved to this area. The people that live in El Gorion are known to be poor, not only financially, but also psychologically. And I would probably argue psychological poverty is worse than financial poverty. And people walk past them. People do not respect them. People do not look them in the eye. People disregard them. People walk over them. That is what they do with people from El Gorion. Eighteen of these women came to our sisterhood in Antigua. And our sisterhood in Antigua is looking at these women eyeball to eyeball, smiling at them, hugging them, giving them uh, love and attention, pouring worth and value into them. And one of the women that were were in El Gorion walked up to one of our leaders and said, do these women not know where we are from? Why are they treating us like this? Don't they know we are from El Gorion? No one loves us like this. And it was our announcement to them that if the world has put a label on you that you are out in this house, in this church and under the banner of Jesus Christ, you are free and loved and whole and made new and you are accepted here. Here, the apostle Paul is letting everybody know you were out. Yeah, there was a time you were out. The door has been kicked wide open. This gate has been busted down and now you and I can come in. And now he doesn't just say we can have a relationship with God. That, that, that's true. But let me tell you this, though. This is a quick aside. This is, this is free. This is free. Um, if God has the power to open up the door of heaven to you, do you not think he also has the power to open up doors here on earth for you? If our God has the ability to do the supernatural, do you not think he has the power to also do the natural? 
If God has the ability to open up the door of heaven, do you think it's too hard for him to open up a door here on earth for a job or relationship or a community or an opportunity that he has for you? His arm is not too short and he is not now anemic and not, he has not wasted all of his power at the cross. His power is unlimited and he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above week all we could ask, think, or even imagine I would encourage you to stop walking past doors that are open that you don't think you belong going into those women at, in, from El Gorion were, were felt uncomfortable in the space. They felt uncomfortable. Like, I'm not supposed to be here. But the reality is we planted that church there in Antigua for them. And we didn't know them, but it was for them. And God had them in mind when we planted that campus. And I'm so glad they had the courage to walk through the door that God had opened for them. And I want to I wanna implore you to get up the courage to walk through the doors that God has opened for you. Stop discounting yourself when God has said, that's what I have for you. Some of you are so used to being abused that you don't know how to be loved. So God's trying to bring you love, but you, oh, you're only comfortable in abuse. Only comfortable in manipulation. Only comfortable in people distorting things. And you're coming into a place, a, a church or some relationships or in a connect group where people are like, I love you just for who you are. You're like, hey, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? What do you want from me? We're like, we don't want anything from you. We want everything for you. We want you to become who God is calling you to be. Walk through the door that he has for you. Okay, so he, here, um, that, that, was, that was an aside. That was an aside. Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here is our God's confidence in himself. Okay? He's confident. Very confident. He's so confident that he will take dirty, nasty, stinky human beings, sin-filled individuals. That's me and you. Stop looking at me like that. I don't like when you guys do that to me. What are you talking about? I don't know. I, I don't know about sin. Yes, you do. You and I have messed up so many times, fallen short of God's glory, missed the mark. And God is so confident in his ability to cleanse us, so confident in his ability to wash us, so confident in his ability to wipe away pornography and doubt and lies and deception and distortions and manipulation and abuse and all the different things you and I have walked through in our lives. He is so confident in his ability to cleanse that he says, I'm not only going to cleanse you, but I'm going to move in and live there. This is now my house. I'm a germaphobe, okay? I'm a germaphobe. I, I admit it, saying it out loud, so hopefully I can get free. But I don't like it. I don't like when somebody's sick, they're coming around me, coughing, sneezing, trying to tell me it's allergies. I can't stand that, okay? I can't, I can't, I can't stand it. I'll be nice to you, but I, I, I can't stand it. Your eyes are all bloodshot. I can feel the heat emanating from your body. And you're telling me, you're telling me it's allergies. 
please. So if, if you sneeze around me, I'll say bless you. But I will move to another part of the room because there's no sense in you being sick and me being sick. I think it's wisdom. If my wife is sick, I will put all the 498 pillows that we have on our bed Just take it like a man when you get married, fellas. Just take it like a man, okay? She wants the pillows. Just let her have them. Let her have them, okay? I know they're going to be put on the floor later. I know. I know they don't stay in the bed all day. I, and I know it doesn't make sense, but it's not worth it. It's not worth your marriage. I take all hundreds, hundreds of the pillows, and I put them in between us like a barricade because I think if she sneezes or coughs, the pillow will catch all the germs that she's trying to send my way. I don't think she has the lung strength to get that sneeze over all of those pillows onto my side. I'm a germaphobe. The problem with being a germaphobe is I have children. I love my children. Children are dirty. They're very dirty human beings, okay? They're they're, they're nasty. And they do things that are gross and disgusting all the time. And if you don't have any kids yet, there will be a day that your child will see something on the ground that you know no human being should ever eat. And your child will grab that thing and they will put it in their mouths faster than you can get over there. And they will digest. Gone. It I don't know how they do it. I don't know. I don't know where they get this ability, but it happens so fast. So just get comfortable. I've seen my little girl. She's so precious. She's three. I've seen her eating, you know, little cookie, crackers, and drink. And I see what she leaves in the cup after. And she wants to give it to me. And I don't want him to feel rejected. So I slap it out of her hand real fast. And I, it was a, L, oh, you said, L, a spider, spider, L, spider, spider. I've never done that, but I've, I've thought about it. I'll, I'll take her cup and just fake it and just kind of give it, give, it, give it back to her. But you know what I would do? If she gave me her cup with all of her little floaties, I would go to the sink, if I washed that cup out myself and scrubbed it myself, I would gladly put any liquid in it and drink. Why? Because I, I, I cleansed it. I made it pure. I made it right. And this is what God has done with you and I. You had sin that had stained you. There were floaties all in your life, in my life. And he said, I'm going to cleanse you by my blood. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to make you brand new. And I'm so confident in my ability to cleanse you that I'm now going to drink from your cup. I'm now going to put myself on the inside of you. He's confident in this cleansing. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But not only, here's another thing. Christ in you is great. But he could have said Christ for you. Christ for you would be really good news. Like he's on your side. He has your back. 
that he believes in you. And there might be some under the sound of my voice today, and you are still wrestling with this idea, is God good? Is he, is he actually for me? Because you know the mistakes and the shortcomings and the issues that you have in your life right now. You know the secrets that you haven't even told anyone from years ago. And you're wondering, am I about to step on some landmine at some point in time and my whole life is going to blow up in front of me? And you wonder, is God just kind of following you around, waiting for you to mess up so he can get you? Because you're bad. You're evil. He wants to, he wants to catch you in your sin. That's not God, okay? He doesn't have time for that. (laughs) He is not up there in heaven with a lightning bolt with your name on it waiting for you to mess up at some point in time so he can send destruction your way and make you wake up. That's not what he's up in heaven doing. As a matter of fact, he's for you. How do I know? The cross. (laughs) It made it clear. The cross told me that God deals with sin very aggressively. He dealt with it so aggressively that his son became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He deals with sin so aggressively that his son was brutally murdered on a cross. He deals with sin so aggressively that he put sin on himself and then got in a tomb and rose again on the third day. He deals with sin so aggressively that he died for you and I and since he died that's the announcement I'm for you I don't know if you had a parent that's been in the stands for you when you've been playing sports it's a wonderful feeling when you're a kid to look up and see someone in the stands that's cheering you on especially when you know you're no good (laughs) uncoordinated (laughs) it's so nice to look up in the stands and see a parent going that's my baby that's my baby right there And I want you to know Christ is for you. He's in the stands of your life going, I know you don't have it all together. I know other people are more talented than you. I know you see how you can disqualify yourself, but I'm just letting you know I'm cheering for you, not because you're great, but because you're mine. I'm cheering for you, not because you're better than everybody else, but because you're mine. I'm cheering for you because I bought you with a price. I'm cheering for you because I'm on your side. I'm for you. I'm for you. I'm for you. I want you to see your savior in the stance cheering you on saying, you go girl, you go boy. You've got this I believe in you not only is he for you he's also with you Christ with you now that's great news too I mean yesterday uh, my wife was driving up from Austin and uh, she was driving with uh, Hannah Scott and Casey Stokes and they were coming back from a conference and uh, there was a, a tornado in Hillsboro uh, which is just north of Waco, and their little uh, alerts are going off on their phones. Tornado warning, you know, take shelter immediately. So they get off the highway, run into a Starbucks, best place to be, tornado. Can I get a dente, double shot, latte, mocha mocha, chino? So they get, they get their drinks, and they're like, hey, actually, we can't stay here. We have to go into the bathroom. So they all go into the bathroom, into a stall in the bathroom, some 20 people strangers and I am seeing I get a video of people in a bathroom stall from all walks of life 
singing, amazing grace, how sweet. It's one thing to go through something like that by yourself. It's another thing just to have some people that are with you. Like, man, uh, I'm just glad I'm not here alone. Just so you know, there's some people at your job right now, some family members that you have, they just want to know, will somebody be with me, okay? I don't, need, I don't need somebody to fix me. I'm just wondering, will somebody be, will somebody be with me? E- even when you have a friend that's in the hospital, you don't have to go there and have words to say. Just be willing to be with them. There's just something about having somebody by your side. You don't even have to know a ton of scripture. I encourage you to know scripture, but you don't have to know a ton of scripture. If you'll just be present, there's something about being present. There's something about walking through life knowing somebody is by your side and you need to understand you have a savior that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death you don't have to fear because he is with you he is right by your side he's with you he's with you at the altar when you're getting married and you're not sure if you're going to be able to be the type of husband you want to be He's with you when you're raising a child. You're not sure if you're going to be able to be the type of mother you want to be. He's with you in the boardroom when you're not sure if you can lead all of these men because they've never had a woman leading the organization like you're leading it. He's with you when you step up and start the company. He is with you when you walk into the interview. He is with you. He is with you. He is with you. That's good news. Him being for us is good news. Him being with us is good news. And both of those things are true biblically. But, but in this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul saying, I'm going to use another preposition. He's in you. This mess with me. I, I got to be honest with you guys. This one messed with me this week. I was, uh, I was studying this. I actually have this verse memorized. I've had it memorized for... A long time, because I'm holy. And uh, <laughs> I, I had this verse, I had this verse memorized, and I never really got it. I'm not even saying I get it now, but I get it more than I did before. Because I started reading this going, wait, Christ? Wait, Christ in me? And the Apostle Paul is not speaking metaphorically. He's like, this is a reality. I'm not trying to use poetic language here. He's in you. And I, I, I started thinking, I don't live like this. I do not live like Christ is in me. I live like I'm a Christian, and I try to be a good person, but I don't live like Christ is in me. I don't pray like Christ is in me. I don't walk like Christ is is in me. In all honesty, I'm more conscious of my shortcomings and my faults being in me than I am of Christ being in me. I'm more aware of how I fail than I am of how he succeeded. I'm more aware of my doubts than I am of the Savior that is pulsating through my veins. And I started reading this verse, and I started being not only convicted, but incredibly encouraged to think, oh, my goodness, this is a game changer for my life. If I can start believing that God is actually in me, that Christ is in me, that means whatever is in Jesus is now in me. 
whatever is in Jesus is now in me. So I started thinking, what's in Jesus? Who is Jesus? Because he's in me. Well, the good news is Colossians, we already looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 15. Look, look who's in you. Look what is on the inside of you. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 15. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all All things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything Jesus might have the supremacy, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, I started reading this going, oh my gosh, I am living, I am living like I have a flip phone in me when I actually have an iPhone. A flip phone, you couldn't really do anything with it. You can call, you could text. If you wanted to use the letter L, you had to push five 17 times. I'm living like that. I'm living like I got a flip phone savior. I can do a couple things. I can call. I can text. And there's this weird Tetris game that I can play on it too. But it has bad graphics. When I actually have an iPhone in a savior that can take amazing pictures and can text, but I can also have all of these apps. And actually, I also can do a movie on this. And I actually can write books on this. And I actually can do this. There's all these other capabilities that the phone has. But I've been content to take my iPhone and treat it like it's just a flip phone. And I'm telling you, you have on the inside of you more than you think you even have on the inside of you. And it's not about you. It's about him. So I'm just praying, God, would you open up my eyes? Would you get my eyes off of myself? Would you get my eyes off of my shortcomings? Would you get my eyes off of my failings? And would you get my eyes more fixed on that beautiful, glorious cross and the person of Jesus Christ so that I can be who you're calling me to be? Go where you're calling me to go. Do what you are calling me to do because I don't want to live a flip phone life. You got way more on the inside of me. Are you and I dumbing down our Savior? Dumbing him down. Well, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to I'm gonna go to church. And, um, I mean, I'll serve. I'll give some money. But I just want to kind of create a nice little safe life all around me. Jesus is like, hey, I, I'm in you. No wonder the Apostle Paul in verse 29 is saying, I'm I'm happy. I'm happy to strenuously contend. I'm happy to run. I'm happy to go. Because it's not even me going. It's Christ in me that's going. It's not even my energy. Like, this is better than Red Bull, okay? This is, this is better than coffee. This is, this is Jesus, the God of the universe that's on the inside of you. I want you to do three things. Three things. 
Number one, I want you to believe this. I want you to believe this. I want you to rehearse this. And I actually want you to practice this. Believe this. This is the faith piece. This is where you are saying, God, wow, this is too good to be true. I'm I'm trying to grow all of us into maturity here, like it talks about in verse 28. Not just being brand new baby Christians. Can't be baby Christians forever. Keep on growing. We all grow at different paces, but we keep on growing. Can't be in diapers forever. There's a time for diapers. Keep on growing. Potty training, that's fine. Some of us takes longer than others. Some of us still wetting the bed. That's okay. Keep on moving. Keep on moving. Maturity. Keep on moving. You got to believe this. God's not a man that he should lie. This is truth for you and for me. Believe this, but then you got to rehearse it. Because your lifestyle sometimes and your behavior is going to contradict what's true about you. And we're so good. We're so, so good about knowing our shortcomings. But I think so many of us are wrestling with our identity so many times because we don't know his identity. So we wrestle with our identity. And if we could know his identity, I think it would make our identity eat that much more clear. So make a switch. Make a switch in your brain. Stop trying to discover who you are. Discover who he is. And I think it helps you and I crystallize who we are in him and who he is in us. You don't need to find yourself. Find him. Find him. I know it's countercultural. I know we're kind of into, I must stay in me and what's going on with my heart and my life. I, I, I get that. But I'm telling you, it's not about you. It's not about me. We're not the center of the universe. He is. Rehearse this, rehearse this, rehearse this, rehearse this, rehearse this. Put it on your mirror. We're, gonna go, we're about to begin 21 days of prayer and fasting as we get ready for our women's conference. We get ready for what all God wants to do in our community uh, and the surrounding areas. So we're going to have this 21 days of, of prayer and fasting. Some of you get a, get, a, get a journal. You don't have one right now. Get a journal. Write out these verses. Write them out and just sit and just think about them. Just think about them. Rehearse it. Rehearse it. Rehearse it. Let it soak. Become a scuba diver, not just a water skier when it comes to your relationship with Jesus. Go in. Then I want you to practice this. By practice, that means I want you to live a life of faith. I want you to put yourself in positions where if God doesn't show up, you fail. It's scary. It's way easier to live safe. It is. It's way easier. That's not your destiny. He didn't die so that you and I could be safe. He died so that you and I could be free and step fully into who he is calling us to be. So I want you to take some steps of faith. Kick down the baby gates that you and I have set around our lives to try to keep everything neat and tidy and in order. I'm glad you have a savings account. That's really good. I encourage you to grow it. I want you to retire a millionaire. Keep your 401k going. Keep your 403b. Do all that. Get your Roth IRA. Do all of that stuff. Dave Ramsey. Woo-woo. Do all of that. But do not be afraid to take steps of faith. If he's calling you out, he's calling because he wants to show you the power that he's put on the inside of you. It's not you, it's him. And it might be starting a company for some of you, but for others of you, it might be just trusting again. You might have the faith to start a company, but you don't have the faith to be planted in church. You've been hurt too many times. 
but have the faith to get in a relationship, but don't have the faith to, to actually become vulnerable with a friend. Both of them require the same Jesus that's on the inside of you. Trust, practice this. Let us become who God is calling us to be, Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you would mind, church family, bow your heads just for a moment here. Bow your heads for just a moment. If you're here today under the sound of my voice and you've never given your heart and your life to Christ, you've never made him number one, you've never made him first, you've never made him boss of your life, but you're here today, you're saying you don't want to go your own way anymore, you want to go his way. You don't want to be on your path, you want to be on his path. You're saying you don't want to be in the driver's seat of your car anymore. You want him to be in the driver's seat. I'm not asking, do you have a Bible? I'm not asking, were you baptized at some point in time? I'm not asking, do you believe in God? I'm asking, do you want to surrender your life to Jesus? Make him first in your life. The Bible uses the word repent. It means to turn, to move from the direction that you are going and begin to go his direction. If that is you here today, you've never given your heart and your life to Christ or at one point in time you did and you slipped away and today you want to give your heart to Christ for the first time or rededicate your life to serving him, I'm going to ask you to do something simple but something incredibly bold. On the count of three, I literally want you to shoot your hand in the air and say, yes, that is me. I want to give my heart. I want to give my life to Christ. Ready? One, two, three. Shoot your hand in the air and say, yes, that is me. I want to give my heart my life to Christ. Hands going up all over the place. Individuals saying, yes, I want to put Jesus first in my life. I want to make him number one. I want to make him number one. These are our friends and family members. I'm going to ask everyone in this place to do me a favor. Put your hand over your heart if you would not mind. Every person, put your hand over your heart. I want everyone to repeat this prayer out loud after me. Say, dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I admit I've made mistakes. And today, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Give me the power to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's lift our heads up and clap our hands with enthusiasm for every friend and family member of ours that's getting on this path and journey. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast, church. If you gave your life to Jesus today, we'd love to know you, meet you, and hear your story. So be sure to email your information to info at shorelinecity.church so we can get you the tools you need to grow in Christ and impact this world. Love you, church.